Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Warrior podcast. This is Sherry Beck. And today I am so excited to have Chris and Lily Rogers on the program with us. Chris is a veteran police officer and 17 of his 25 years of service um, he has spent as a public safety bomb technician. He is currently the program manager of training for the USBTA and also one of the co-founders of EOD Chefs. He, along with his wife, Lily Rogers, are with us today, and Lily is an active duty service member in the Air Force. She's a senior master sergeant EOD technician who is currently an Air Force Special Operations School um, teaching the dynamics of international terrorism. Chris and Lily, welcome to Behind the Warrior. Thanks for having us, Sherry. Good afternoon. Hey, Sherry. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's so much fun. We're going to have a good time today chatting. Um, Well, before we get started, I would love for you, um, Chris and Lily, to just tell us how you came about establishing uh, the EOD chefs and also tell us where you grew up and what led you to a career in the police department and Lily, you in the military. Um, Chris, I'll let you go first. Okay, great. So I'm a Bronx, New York native, grew up in a um, uh, working class uh, neighborhood in the Northeast Bronx that was super family focused, Um, Italian American and Irish American, German American background. But most of my time was spent um, with my mom's Italian American side of the family. Almost every Sunday, we had a huge family meal with a dozen or more people at my grandmother's um, and, and big backyard barbecues for holidays and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of my growing up was shaped around family and food. And it grew, it grew a tremendous passion in me for cooking and food and sharing uh, food with people that you care about. And so that's kind of shaped a lot of my hobbies, a lot of my time outside of work um, throughout my life um, from a pretty young age. Um, in 1989, my family moved to Tucson, Arizona. Um, in Tucson, we, we continued as a smaller family doing Sunday dinners uh, every Sunday. Um, when I was a young cop, I worked outside of Tucson, and I would drive my family into my folks' house on East Hill every Sunday to have dinner at my parents' table and continuing on um, that tradition. So I became a police officer in 1993, and... Um, Right after uh, 9-11, I was interested in, in doing something more uh, than what I was doing at the time, which was working patrol. And I was looking at the special operations and the special operations career field when I was approached by the bomb squad commander. Um, because before I was a cop, I was an electrician, and he recruited me for my knowledge in electronics. And I tested, and I got on the bomb squad in early 2002. And uh, I finished my career um as a bomb technician, as a full-time bomb technician in 2018, uh, when Lily got orders here to Herbert Field in Nahar, Florida, and we moved and relocated from Arizona to Florida. As far as the UD Chefs page, that's a very interesting um, story. So there was a handful of us, about eight or ten of us, that loved to cook and were also bomb technicians, and we were using a hashtag EOD Chefs on Facebook. And that had been going on for about a year. 
And, um, you know, the tenants will always share recipes and we do posts and we pay attention to what each other were cooking. Well, one night about two months ago, about probably six or eight weeks ago, I got a late night phone call from a good friend of mine, Dave Grocken. So um, Dave calls and says, hey, man, why don't you start an EOD chef's page? You know, we, we use this hashtag and there's a bunch of us, but I think there's a lot more of us that, that in this community that love to cook and have a passion for food and eating and drinking. And, uh, you know, why don't you kick it up, you know, kick it off and, and we could bridge the two communities, you know, the public safety bomb tech and the EOD military EOD community. We're going to do something fun and positive. Initially I, I thought, no way, Dave, like, like I, I really don't think it'll take off. And he first started me into it. Like I like to say, <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, he talked me into it. And so that night I started the page and Dave and I sent out some invites to our friends and Louie sent out some invites. And as of this morning, we're at uh, 1,492 members and something like 58 or 60 posts a day and, you know, 300 posts a month. And it's growing and it's been 99.9% an absolute positive experience for everybody. And uh, it's it's been kind of a really cool experience experience to be a part of and there's a ton of people involved that make it a great experience and make put real good posts up and uh, came up with ideas for our own swag shop we have t-shirts and aprons and cuffs with we had a logo contest the top three logos uh went to our swag shop so we have a bunch of merch out there that we sell um a portion of the proceeds from all the swag we sell go to both the UD Warrior Foundation and the Bomb Tech Memorial Foundation um which are the two uh, career field specific um, foundations that host our walls and and work with our gold star uh, families and 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 uh, folks that need our help and assistance. That's kind of the brief my background and how we became um, EOD chefs. Okay, well, thank you for that, Chris. And I I do have some questions down the road for you too that that are a little more specific, but appreciate all of that. Um, and it's Great. an exciting page to watch for sure, and and I certainly enjoy it as an EOD spouse. Um, Lily, tell us about you or yourself, um, where you grew up and, and why you chose the military. Hey, Sherry. Okay. So first off, I want to say that when Chris was active, active in the department, the sheriff would pick him to do the news media (laughs) speaking, because as you can hear, he's very good at it. So, um, bear with me as I stumble through about little old me. (laughs) So, um, I was born in Berkeley, California. Um, my dad still lives in Northern California, but I grew up for the most part in Washington state and, um, spent most my, um, childhood right smack dab as a middle child in a, in a Brady Bunch type of family. So I was super independent, kind of had to fend for myself. Uh, because of that, very early on, I knew I wanted to be like in the army. You know, I like to play with GI Joes. Um, all my friends were little boys. We'd go out and build forts in the woods. So I was destined to be in the military service uh, in some way, shape, or form. So as soon as I could, I um, joined the service. It did not end up being the army, and I'm actually very uh, grateful that I joined the Air Force. And I actually started out as a, an armament specialist. So what that means is I loaded bombs on airplanes. So my airframe was the B-52 Stratofortress, which holds a lot of ordnance on its wings and in its belly. And I also did that 
job at Herbert Field on the uh, helicopter systems. I loved the Air Force. I loved the military. I was fulfilling my dream, but it just wasn't quite enough. I felt like I had already kind of peaked, um, and I was a little E4, and I wanted more. And I heard about explosive ordnance disposal and was told they got to go on VIP missions with the Secret Service. And uh, I was like, well, I already know bombs. And so, um, you know, I signed up and got accepted. It wasn't exactly what I thought it was going through school, but um, it was quite the experience learning way more than I thought I would have to um, going through these rigorous tests. But, man, did it pay off. And I've been doing that since 2002, you know, having been in the military now for over 23 years. Um, been stationed all over. Um, you know, I did uh, four years in Italy. Uh, naturally, you know, as Chris said, we're back at Herbert Field. That was my first duty station as EOD, and um, and here we are. So my part, real quick, about the EOD chef is I'm just kind of uh, a cheerleader. So <laughs> my involvement with food was nothing like Chris's big family dinners and very elaborate meals with our little. Brady bunch of 10 people in the house it was what can we cook really quick for a lot of people so a lot of rice and chicken not a lot of seasonings I didn't know what a lot was I knew that I liked to cook and especially when um, you know you're an adult and you get to experiment I will say I've always had an appreciation for food I just didn't know what I didn't know Mm -hmm. so meeting Chris and going on this journey with him has been fun and adventurous and I'm really kind of along for the ride and, and uh, lo- love learning along the way. Cool. Very cool. Well, it's it's an exciting endeavor for sure and something different and out of the box, I think. So, um, and thank you, Lily, for sharing your your story of um, where you grew up and how you, how you landed in the military. And Chris, um, I'm going to pivot for just a second and, and just ask, you know, as a native New Yorker, um, and a police officer, uh, when when 9-11 happened and the Twin Towers fell in New York, um, that event certainly changed the lives of, of many, many Americans. And it changed the direction of yours, too, um, which ultimately you explained earlier that led you to public safety bomb technician. But can you tell us about what a public safety bomb technician does and uh, reflect on the impact it's had for your life. Yeah, so uh, in the U.S., there's just over 460 public safety bomb squads, so not every agency has one. And the unique thing about um, public safety bomb technicians as opposed to other law enforcement career fields is we all go to one school. Um, That's the Hazardous Devices School in Huntsville, Alabama. That's run by the FBI. When I went through, it was an Army FBI so um, the, the core cadre were Army EOD personnel, um, and all, we are the, we're the first responders for any explosive incidents that occur um, within the United States. So not every, again, not every agency has a public safety bomb squad. So like my squad was a regional squad, and we supported 13 agencies, including the U.S. Border Patrol along the U.S.-Mexico border. And the, the units are very different. Um, some public safety units are 20, 30 um, bomb techs like you know LA, New York. I think has forty, um, and some are two man shops, two two person shops. I should say, as I sit next to a female bomb technician, two person shops <laughs> um, that, you know, that don't run a lot of calls. 
uh, my personal experience was we, when I first got on the squad, we ran about 50 calls a year. Uh, when I retired, we were running about 120 to 140 calls a year. About a third were actual uh, device, destructive devices or explosive recoveries. Um, we had a unique mission in, in supporting border patrol. So we were what we referred to as a flyaway squad. We were certified on the, um, you had customs, uh, air Marine branch, the Blackhawk, their, their, uh, aviation platform. And we would fly with them and uh, do a lot of trainings and missions. Those guys as well as our primary mission of serving the citizens of Pima County and, and the Tucson area. Um, so our school is not nearly as long as NAV school, and uh, we have a lot of breakout training. So after you graduate, what we used to refer to as basic, which is not referred to as the certification course, you, you move on to more advanced training. Um, at uh, ATF has a, a, a center, a national center of explosive training and research in Huntsville on Redstone Arsenal now, where you could take advanced training. Um, th there I started teaching with the HME uh, course there, and that course is a blended course of uh, military and public safety bomb technicians. And I, there I got a real passion for working hand-in-hand uh, -hand with our military counterparts. And that really pushed me into doing different projects that kind of bridge the gap between public safety and military EOD and kind of building that relationship. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Um, Thank well, you. Everybody's working hard to save lives every day, so we appreciate everything that, that, um, that you guys do, Chris. Right. As far as the 9-11 component, 9-11, you know, like many Americans, it struck me hard. And being a former New Yorker, there was a little bit of kind of, I guess you could say like, I don't want to say survivor's guilt, but there was a little bit of that. I couldn't be there with my family and friends and loved ones that lived in New York, you know, to kind of share and, and be there to support them and share in the pain that they were going through because um, because we had left. So that was uh, an interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly joining the bomb squad made me feel like I was giving back to the country on a different level. Sure. And uh, it, it, motiv it motivated me to do some pretty cool and pretty unique things uh, throughout my career as a bomb technician. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for your service to our community, Chris. Thank you. Yeah. Lily, um, the same, same for you, I guess. Um, how did your life change after 9-11 and what stands out? two decades plus of your service as a, an Air Force EOD technician. Yeah, so Sherry, when I was um, going through EOD school, um, in the very early phases of it, we were at the main base at Eglin downstairs in the classroom, which they don't uh, use that building anymore. And we're going through demolition. So we're learning about explosives and really just starting uh, our introduction to what EOD is, and our lieutenant was pulled out of the class and brought upstairs, and he came down to tell us about the Twin Towers, one of them being hit, and we were just all a little confused and didn't know what to, to make of it, you know, and then he gets pulled out again, and the next thing you know, we're being sent home for the day, and the, the school is shut down for the next few days. Um being that I was already in the military, how that shaped my career was those follow-on missions were really uh, fighting that, that war effort after the fact, you know. Um, I went on several deployments, um, 
in the fight against terrorism. Uh, and I, you know, I was in the regime under Bush and, and what that stood for. So um, it was really nice to have that purpose. Whereas, uh, you know, peers are people before that had served and really weren't exposed to um, 9-11 may have, may have served and just not had um, a conflict. You know, some people do their four years, get out and had just stayed home side, uh, you know, we call it stateside and not really supported a war effort. So um, I feel like my, my career really had a purpose. Uh, and even now, you know, we still have it ongoing with ISIS and it's now um, developed to the, they call it the great power competition with China and so things are definitely um, transitioning, but, you know, I feel very fulfilled with what I was able to do to support that. Right. Well, thank you as well, Lily. I know your career is, is uh, not, you're still active duty and I understand that. Um, but thank you for all you've done and contributed to the safety and, and saving people's lives. Appreciate it. Uh, you're worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's awesome. Lily, um, as an explosive ordnance disposal technician and uh, in a predominantly male career field, how have you navigated through through this career field as as a female? And do you have any advice at all for new female graduates? So, I'm I'm a little bit of an oddball. Uh, I always have been. You know, you'll even see my Facebook post where. You know, I still get excited about things that well, it's really for airmen and, you know, being called out as a nerd and I'm okay with that. <laughs> so, you know, you, you heard me talk about playing with GI Joes and, um, you know, having this, this really tomboy upbringing. So I feel like my time and interactions with a male dominant career field has been, um, more of an, just a, just it is what it is. I, I feel like I kind of fit right in. I won't say it's always been easy. Um, you know, sometimes I, I wish I could just sit down and shoot the shit with the guys, but some of the stories, you know, I, I don't feel quite included or obviously I don't have, you know, the similar things to share. So, um, and then of course there's always that embedded, I have to work a little bit harder, but do I, I don't know. I may have done that to myself. And I think other females will also say the same thing that they just have to try a little bit harder. Um, and, and I have, and that, that has been my success is to just work my butt off and uh, let my work and performance speak for itself. And I think that's where, why I'm here today. Um, you know, as an E8 in the military is, uh, is just being a workhorse. And I don't, I don't know everything about EOD. You know, people usually have a, a niche where they're just really good at, um, the chemical part of it or the tools. Um, I'm definitely not the master of anything, but, uh, I, I've definitely, I've, I've really worked hard and studied to get where I'm at. So for up and coming females, you know, and that's one thing that I really hope that the Air Force and other services continue to advocate for is making sure that they keep the females in the force and keep them coming and graduating so that um, we don't lose that, you know, because there was a little bit of time, you know, about eight years ago where we had a lull in female recruits and 
you know, I felt like I didn't know any of the, the airmen. If I was to look at a name, I, I wouldn't know them. I only knew really tech sergeants and above. So I felt like we were a dying breed. But the ones coming in, man, I just hope that they're strong-headed and, um, you know, just getting to EOD school and getting selected was their first step. You know, they had to earn it just like anybody else. So for the females that are graduating EOD school now and the ones who have just entered, um, if they want female support, there's a couple of Facebook pages that we've created uh, for them to join and get that mentorship and um, have a female community. But also, I want them to integrate with the rest of their teams that may be just male-dominated because you have to fit in. And I know that when they came in, they knew it was a male-dominated career field. Um, that's just the Air Force numbers, period. So for them, I want to say work hard and don't try to do more than what you are normally capable of because that is impossible to sustain and it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. So whatever they did to get where they are and to graduate, just continue doing that. And um, I'm certain they'll find the same successes that I did. Right. Well, thank you for that, Lily. I think that's very, very helpful. And uh, I just want to say, you know, a big shout out to all of our female EOD technicians and those that are, you know, thinking about entering this career field. Um, in my opinion, you, every single one of you is a badass. And um, I just, uh, I I think it's incredible. And um, it's not an us versus them sort of thing. It's, it's collaborate and, and get the job done. That's right. Um, well, we're going to switch over and uh, talk about the fun part <laughs> and uh, a part. Tell us, you know, Lily Orchris, um, you can tell us how you met and how have you managed to integrate, you know, um, just being married, having a family um, when you literally, you know, well, you're doing similar jobs, but really uh in two different worlds, so to speak. How how has that been? Uh, so Chris is giving me the the raised eyebrows. You, you take this one. Okay. Um, so maybe a, a TMI thing. You know, prior to Chris, I I had been married. Um, you know, I'm a I've had a divorce under my belt. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I you know I was doing my thing in the shop uh, as a single mom for. You know, almost a couple years, and Chris had, you know, obviously, as you said, he'd been in Tucson for for twenty five years, so his relationship was with the shop was already established. Um, I just came in there and, and kind of joined the team, and you know, at the time, he as well was in a relationship, but we got along professionally so well, and he was excited to work with the Air Force, and I had never been at a shop that integrated with the the police force, with the um, the public safety side of the, um, the bomb technicians. So I was excited. I couldn't even believe that something like this existed. So at the time, I'd taken over as flight chief, or maybe I wasn't quite flight chief yet, but I was in the training division as the NCOIC, as the non-commissioned officer in charge, and uh, would collaborate with Chris and his team to do uh, training on our range, on his range, invite them out to see some of our procedures that that's not something that they normally do, as well as um, showing us stuff that, that we don't normally do because it's 
very similar um, schools, but in the military obviously relies um, or more heavily goes is ordnance focus, you know, the military bombs. So we, we did that for quite a while. And um, it's funny how it kind of transitioned because it, it was like professional, professional until, until it kind of wasn't. So he was friends with one of the guys in the shop and um, we had sent or Chris and a couple other had gone on a robot training course. <laughs> um, and I'm just going to name drop them here. So Jason Osberg was in the shop at the time. <laughs> and I said, Hey, uh, that Rogers guy, is he, is he like flirty <laughs> <laughs> with like everybody? And he's like, why is he flirting with you? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I, I can't tell, you know, cause Chris is just very charismatic and, happy so he's talking to me I'm, i just kind of felt enamored i'm like i can't tell if this is like just how he is with everybody and uh well jason actually said yeah he's like he's like that with everybody so there was almost a little bit of a turnoff like oh man bummer you know he's, i guess he's not interested because he's he's like that with everybody but um we ended up just i think it was a saturday right it was on the weekend mm -hmm. where I was out and about doing errands and so was he. And we wanted to talk about a post-blast training. So um, we ended up meeting up for a beer in our civilian clothes and, and, and scheduling this whole thing out. But we ended up being there for honestly a couple of hours and ended up having a lot in com common, even though we're from such, such um, stark different backgrounds with him, me being in Washington completely across the country but, you know, I had an, I have an adopted son. He was, he had custody of his adopted nephew, both from, um, Africa. So, you know, we we're talking about the struggles of that. And we just really made just such a personal connection. And it was really my, the first time I got an inside look at the personal side of Chris Rogers and vice versa. And that was like mm -hmm. end of the story or really the beginning of the story. It's <laughs> really cool. Really cool. Um, well, I'm glad. I'm glad you guys have found happiness for sure. That's it's pretty awesome. Chris, one of the things you shared earlier with us is that um, you both have a passion for bringing military and public safety bomb techs, uh, bridging the world, so to speak. Um, can you can you tell us about that? And I think it'll probably lead into you know the form the forming of EOD chefs, but also USBTA, and, and we'll get into some more detailed questions about those things. Yeah, so um, working in Tucson is very unique. Um, you know, you're outside of the capital, outside of Phoenix, um, but it's and it's remote, you know, because Arizona's huge. So resource management becomes a challenge, and um, knowing what resources are available and, and uh, what, what you can leverage um, becomes important, I think, to complete the mission effectively. So when I took over, you know, we already had the, the commander previous to me. Um, he had a, a pretty good relationship with DM. So when I took over, I continued that relationship, and then we enhanced on it. And then when uh, the drug war in Mexico escalated under Vincenta, President President Fox, um, we started running a lot of cross-border explosives and um, destructive device incidents. And we found ourselves um, having to do um, dismounted missions, and as law enforcement and public safety bomb techs, we had to admit we were in over our heads. So we leveraged more heavily the DM 
uh, Air Force shop and then the Marine Corps unit in uh, Yuma to kind of teach us how to do a mission that we were not trained for. And that just, that took it to the next level. I mean, we were just having a great time with both shops and we started training together quarterly. And between that and and um, doing the HME course with ATF, and then I've done a, a couple of Ravens challenges that were in Arizona, and um, we started a border working group under CTTSO and, and the technical support working group, and that was a blended uh, working group of military and public safety bomb technicians from all along the U.S.-Mexico border, all 13 um, public safety units and four military units that have a response um, responsibility to, to the border. And we worked that um, for a couple of years. We actually, the whole group of us went to Israel together, and we did some stuff um, along the Israeli border with the Israeli National Police. And it, it just solidified that um, one of the one of my passions as a bomb technician was to integrate with military units and work closely with them in a partnership. And you know, I always say, like when the big one hits, I don't want to be shaking hands and doing introductions. I want to be giving hugs and saying, "Hey, good to see you." Like, let's get this done, right? Mm-hmm. So right. I believe very much in making those relationships before you have, before you need them. And so that's kind of been one of my tenants um, as, you know, as a bomb squad supervisor was to make sure we were building relationships and we were, um, we knew the people that we may need um, should we need help and not to try and do it on our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's how I built these great relationships. And then several years ago, you know, I, I, I find out about this organization, the United States Bomb Technician Organization. I get a call from the chairman, president at the time, Sean Dennis. Um, him and I talk about it, and their mission was to do exactly that, to bring military and public safety units together in training under the umbrella of technology and our indus- and industry and, um, you know, and collaborate. And I was all about it. So Sean asked me to join the board. I joined the board. Uh, we did some great stuff. It's five years now. And um, I've left the board. Now I have a, a, a regular position with them as, as the program manager of training where I facilitate the online and in-person trainings that the USBTA provides. Um, and uh, it's, it's been super satisfying to do that. And, um, you know, working with both career fields, it's a lot of fun. I, I think you find it in that environment, bomb techs or bomb techs, and the same sense of humor uh, the same crazy ideas, the same practical jokes, it really does go across. And that's probably because of the influence of, you know, the foundational training is, is basically built off of the same handbook, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, the HDS manuals, you know, I mean, they come right out of uh, naval schools. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's, it's been super satisfying to be a part of that and to, you know, work with both career fields and really, you know, kind of, build a bridge and get folks working together and hanging out together. And that's kind of how EOD chefs, Dave, you know, Dave Brockin, he's, he was on the board of the USBTA with me and that's how we built our relationship. And, you know, when he, when he pitched the idea and then, then, you know, we decided to do it, it, uh, it just all came together. So I was wrong about that number. It's 1483, but okay. I'm sure by the time this airs we've broken 1500 people. That's and, fantastic. Um, it's an amazing positive experience. You know, I, I spoke to someone this week, a couple of people this week who reached out to me when the page first turned on and I told them that I was going to be doing this with you. And I got their permission to share uh, some incredible stories early on in the founding of the page. I've got a number of side messages from people. Um, one individual said, you know, during quarantine, this person had hit a really deep hole and was really suffering and they started to cook to, as like therapy and that they had plateaued and they were starting to slip again. And that the page 
And this person said the page saved me. Uh, it, it brought me up. It reinvigorated my passion for cooking. It gave me new ideas to cook. It, uh, it excited me again, and I'm in a good place again. And I've gotten a couple of emails about people that have found the environment to be very positive and what's needed after this over a year of just divisiveness and just hard living for us here in the United States, you know, to have a place where we can go and share what's in common and not debate all of the stuff that's been going on over the last year, I think has been really, really therapeutic and really helpful for a lot of people, including Lily and I. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of my favorite things to do. I, I mean, absolutely. I sit on the couch probably an hour a night focusing only on the page, moving recipes to the guides and just, you know, making sure things are going and running contests for crazy stuff you know, items and, um, it's all, it's, it's a really fun thing to be a part of, you yeah. know, and it's collaborative. There's so many great people involved. I really made me promise I was going to name names. Cause if I started naming names, I would forget some names. It's just, just go to the page. I just encourage anybody go to the page, see who's active. Look at the awesome things all these folks are doing to keep it cool and to keep it chill and to just unify the community. It, it's, it's really kind of inspirational in what it's turned into. And, uh, all I did was hit a button that said publish page and, and it just went bananas from there. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely enjoy the page, uh, Chris. It's been a lot of fun to watch and, and also um, participate in. But, you know, it's it's very cool to me to um, see how food brings people together, you know, and right. um, just with your your background and childhood and just love for family um, this has got to feel a lot like family, and that you're having having not necessarily meals with people, but you're sharing. And I mean, isn't that the ultimate thing for Sunday dinner? Is is sharing? This is like Sunday every day. I I appreciate the fact that there's something out there that's so uh, inspirational and fun and and kind of lighthearted, um, but also that people just feel that they can communicate on there and have a connection with one another through food. I think it's awesome. So thank you. All right. Our pleasure. It's been, like I said, it's been a hugely collaborative effort. I've made new friends. I've, I've ran into people I haven't seen in years and reestablished friendships. And it's pretty cool. We're hoping now that COVID's winding down to be doing some great in-person events. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to be doing the cookout after the memorial on Saturday the 1st Yes, um, to raise funds for the EOD Warrior Foundation. We're looking forward to that. That's going to be a collaborative effort for folks that are in the group that live here in Florida and are coming down to help. Um, there's folks in other states at the regional memorials that are parts of the EOD Chess Group that are trying to put together similar events. And, you know, our benchmark is next year, you know, for the memorial, we'd like to do a cookout and get Folks, get a bunch of folks out here and have a nice day of, you know, you know, who knows, and 12 tents with different, you know, booths that you can go to and try different foods and really push the page and or the group and, um, you know, do more as a, a community in person. We're looking forward to those kind of things. Yeah, I, I think the possibilities are really endless, Chris, because there's a lot of people that are so passionate about cooking and wanting to share with people. I, I think you're going to get a good response in, in relation to that. Um, oh, it's it's amazing. I thought I was a good cook, and I thought I did pretty good plating, and, and until I joined, you know, this page, and now I look, and I'm like, I really don't know what I'm doing. There's some <laughs> rock stars on there that you want. It's unbelievable. It's very humbling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fun, though. It's so much fun. Um, it sure is. Tell us about the uh, monthly ongoing challenge that you have on EOD uh, Chefs, the Facebook group, <laughs> and, you know, what it is and how, how does it work? 
Great. So one of the things I started or we started early on is um, to, you know, find ways to make it fun, right? So the first thing we did was if your photo, right, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a photo that you posted gets the most likes for that week, I check all of them on a Saturday, um, and I go back to the previous Friday, I go and um, the one with the most reacts, it becomes the group's cover photo. Well, um, James Underwood, a Army EOD, former Army EOD tech, he started laser engraving some really cool items. So James is like, let's come up with a contest to give these away, like the swag shop you can buy, but these are going to be showcase items that only you can win. So the idea was now, at the end of the month, we're going to take all four of the cover photos that got the most likes to become the cover photo, and we're going to vote on them. And the photo that gets the most votes, we're going to send them a, a cup or a spatula with one of the logos on it or something that uh, has been laser engraved to kind of really encourage participation. Last night, we posted our next contest. The next contest is a 10-minute or less video, any recipe, uh, to be posted to the page using the hashtag EOD Chef's Network Star. And then we're going to have a 24-hour submittal period, and then we're going to open voting. And the video with the most votes is going to get a really piece, unique piece of swag um, with the logo on it. Um, and then we haven't announced yet, but the third contest that we're going to run later in the month um, is going to be, we're going to randomly select one of the recipes out of the guide section, and that person will get um, a gift, a prize. Um, to encourage people, the guide section is kind of neat. That's like our virtual cookbook. If people post a, a recipe that's got enough details to replicate it, we'll move it into the guide section. We have like 20 guides, beef, poultry, air fryer recipes, Instapot recipes, uh, um, desserts, drink mixtures. And so we're going to numerize all those. We'll use a random number selection and one of the guides will get a prize. And we want to do that to encourage people post details. Let's build out this virtual cookbook and have a reference resource for members to go when they're stuck. I got this chicken. I want to do something different tonight. You jump in the poultry guide, you pull up a cool, um, recipe and, and you replicate it. And, um, so that's, that'll be the next one that we're going to do. So those are some of the things you do to kind of keep it fun and, and keep people involved and, you know, make sure that, you know, there's a little, it's not just throwing up food picks, right? There's other mm -hmm. stuff going on. Yeah. Well, I can definitely see why it's grown so fast and is so popular. I think for, for several reasons, as I stated earlier, I think people are just hungry, you know, for mm -hmm. um, some interaction and some positive interaction. And um, that page definitely provides it. And, there's a variety of things going on all the time, so I'm I'm mm. impressed that it's grown so fast and popular. Tell us about your partnership with uh, Redwire Apparel. Um, in a short time, you've gotten you know put some cool items out there for sale, and just tell us tell us about those, Chris. Great. So Redwire Apparel, um, he, they, he the owner of Redwire Apparel is uh, one of the members of the USBTA. And the reason that he, he's there is because he created the Vine Crab logo. So he was one of the contest winners. He, he drew the logo. He was one of the three winners. And he graciously offered to host a swag shop at his Red Wire Apparel shop and not, you know, not charge us. It doesn't provide us any overhead. We don't have to worry about printing shirts and storing them at my house and me mailing them out. He does all the drop shipping and everything for the group. And um, so he, he gave us our own little section on his webpage that has all of our swag items on there. And uh, I talked to him this week. He's going to be adding um, more items, uh, some other more unique stuff on there. Um, and uh, and he, he handles it all. Every month he looks at the, you know, how much we've raised and he sends 
does the, the donation submittals to BTMF and EOD Warrior Foundation. You know, it, it's not much because we wanted to keep the shirts affordable. So we, you know, the more the donation is marked up into the price of the product. Um, but I think at this point, every little bit helps, you know, both foundations have not been able to do a lot of fundraising this year, you know, so, you know, $60 a month between the two foundations, you know, that's, it's a little bit, you know, it helps and it's better than nothing, I think. Um, so that's, that's where that goes. The guy's name's Rob von Mohenfeld and he's uh, one of the senior VPs at USBTA and he did that really cool vine crab logo and, uh, he's great enough to host all the stuff for us and not, we don't have to worry about asking for donations to pay someone to, to be the shop. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome. And we're very grateful for that, Chris. Um, and, you know, you're right. Every, every little bit helps. And, you know, we're just, yeah. we're, we're proud to be, you know, a small part of that. And um, it's yeah, pretty cool. awesome. Yeah, right. He's an army veteran and mm-hmm. a uh, veteran public safety bomb technician as well. Fantastic. Well, we thank him <laughs> and everybody that's a part of the group because it's, it's just pretty yeah. cool. And um, yeah. We know that the EOD Chefs group on Facebook is for military and public safety bomb technicians, but tell us who can join the the, the page, Chris. Um, I think there is, like for instance, I'm I'm a military EOD. You know, my husband's retired EOD, but I'm part of the page, so um, I was invited to join by um, our board of directors, Greg Middleman. So, tell us who can join. So we look at the page as a shop party. So if you would walk into a shop party for a bomb shop and whoever would be in the, at that party on a Saturday at, you know, the, the flight chief's house or the commander's house doing a barbecue, that's who's welcome to the page. Okay. The so spouses, friends, family, parents of bomb techs, um, you know, it's a community of people that support EOD. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, so that we don't really, we don't just limit it to bomb technicians. You know, we encourage spouses, we encourage, you know, gold star families Anybody that supports the community and, you know, can, you know, be a part of it, we welcome. Mm-hmm. You know, we do limit it to people that do have an affiliation with the community because the the community can be quirky and some of the humor is very specific to the community. So we <laughs> want to make sure that, you know, we feel comfortable to be bomb techs and not, you know, have someone who doesn't understand our culture start you know, causing problems, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's funny because people are asking about the, the video contest and what's the, what is the PG rating that it needs to be, you know? <laughs> and, um, and the answer to it from one of the uh, admins was perfect. You know, it, look, uh, bomb text are bomb text and we're all going to be crazy and do crazy things, but you know, there's wives on here and there's some minors on here and mm-hmm. there's, you know, friends and family on here. So keep it fun, keep it bomb techie, but you know, let's not go bananas. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what we're looking to do. We're looking to make it like a shop party where, yeah, every once in a while, there might be something inappropriate said or done, but for the most part, no harm, no foul, and everybody's going to laugh about it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where we want to want it to go and kind of keep it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a lot of fun. I mean, you have to keep it that way, um, you yeah. know, so I, I love that. And um, if somebody wants to learn more about EOD chefs, where do they go? So the, the page has um, some posted announcements at the very top that pretty much describe what we are, what we do, and what our events are, what contests we're hosting. So we try and make sure, it's, especially since we've gotten so big, we try and make sure that we're putting as much information out there as possible so everybody that wants to be involved can be involved and everybody feels like they're a part of it. It is getting harder and harder to stay on top of things since we're about to break 1,500 from what was mm-hmm. you know 500 you know a few weeks ago. But um, there's so many great people involved in it that uh, 
it, you know, it just works itself out. It really has become a, a creature of its own. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It just works itself out. There's so many people that are just, you know, bomb techs, right? Level-headed, want to help, you know, critical thinkers, independent thinkers, and, it, you know, everybody that chips in just makes it work. And um, so jump on and ask a question, read some of the announcements, you know, shoot a message to one of the admins. Um, right now there's four admins and they're split between military and public safety. So if you see a name of an admin that you're comfortable with, send them a message, ask them whatever questions you like, and, and we'll be happy to respond. Cool. Very cool. And Lily, for I'm pretty sure that I saw not long ago um, your, you and your little guy um, making a dish together. So it's it's really turned into a family affair too, right? Are you talking about Boomer Vito Rogers? <laughs> I am talking about Boomer. <laughs> so, Boomer doesn't have a choice. He um, He's going to grow up being a foodie. You uh-huh. know, he eats fish eyeballs. Um, he eats his steaks. <laughs> rare to medium rare. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, on the side before EOD Chefs was our little YouTube channel, which there's not a lot of videos on it, but it's a... Uh, Vito's Castellamare, and if you look on Facebook, it actually looks like a restaurant that you can go to. It's advertised as a restaurant, but it's just our home, and that's where we initially started posting, you know, our our culinary delights, and we knew that we had to get Boomer involved. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, Daddy and Boomer, you know, it's they have their own specialized aprons. I'm just behind the scenes, you know, editing and shooting it with my iPhone, but um, it's so fun to make it a family affair. Yeah. I love it. You know, I think teaching children at a young age to, um, just do some simple and basic things to, to know how to cook, but also the love and appreciation of food. And, um, it's, it's really sweet to see you guys all together in that way. (laughs) Ah, great. Glad you guys enjoy it. Yeah. All right. Well, um, before we go, I I just wanted to, first of all, say thank you to both of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to chat with me today about your um, professions and your careers and your, you know, family and also EOD chefs. And we look forward to seeing the page continue to grow and, uh, you know, just have a lot of fun with it. So thank you both. But um before we actually go, we I, I do want to ask some what are your favorite questions. It's something that we do that's kind of fun and lighthearted. And um, so, Lily, I would love to ask you first some of your favorites. <laughs> so um, tell me what your favorite hobby is, Lily. Oh, gosh. Okay. You know, that used to be hard to answer because, you know, when I was younger, I'm like, oh, basketball or drawing. But hands down, as an adult, DIY, do it yourself. And my Mm -hmm. poor husband um, has to put up with it. But would you agree for the most part the projects turn out um, okay? Outstanding. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Awesome. Fantastic. What's What's the latest project you've done, Lily? Um, so I try to stick to one project at a time because, you know, I want our house to be in one piece. So I really took on quite a project of, um, refinishing our kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking like tearing down, uh, drywall 
and uh, doing electric and stuff like that. So we're switching out appliances. I'm taking apart all the cabinetry, putting in soft closed hinges, um, painting. You know, our house is very beachy themed, so a lot of light colors and blues. And then you look in our kitchen where we spend a lot of time, and it's just these dark wood cam- uh, cabinets from the early 2000s. And I, since we first moved here, wanted to do it. But if you want to do um, painting cabinets right, it's it's a process. Um, I've watched all the YouTube, so I'll uh, I'll post a pic of us in the kitchen cooking just so you get the the look in the background because okay. you know I can't do a separate page. Okay, cool. All right, look forward to seeing that. Um, what is your favorite meal to make? Oh, okay. Um, so, gosh, this is kind of like embarrassing to admit. So, I actually I do watch a lot of TikTok, um, and I found this recipe that I will continue to make until I die. And it's a pasta recipe. So it's easy, right? You're boiling some pasta, but it's a, um, a spicy, um, pasta olive vodka. So mm. it's, um, you know, you use the tomato paste, um, the, the heavy cream, red pepper flake and vodka, you know, and of course there's some other, um, seasonings in there. You, cook your pasta almost al dente, throw it in the sauce, and it is just, it's like to die for. Mm, that sounds delicious. You're making me hungry. <laughs> um, <laughs> sounds really good. All right. And tell me about a favorite place that you have visited. A favorite place I've visited? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have a whole bunch, um, but I will say my favorite and most memorable was actually when I was four months pregnant with Boomer and I had a really once in a lifetime opportunity to go to Bali, Indonesia. And it wasn't, I would say a family vacation because I actually just joined Chris on one of his um, work trips, but we stayed at basically a, a resort. So here I am by the pool ordering French fries while he's, you know, doing his, um, conferences that are translated right so we actually got to go out on the weekends and get tours of the the rice fields and that trip for both of us was um was life-changing you know we felt like we wanted to be better people you know the Balinese people are just just so special um so kind and and their um their spirituality was just infectious you just wanted to become like them so I would say that is that is probably my most favorite place I've visited. Yeah. Um, when I would agree with you um, about it being such a beautiful place, my husband and I were able to um, take a trip there when we were stationed in Guam and we did a short trip and man, it, it just absolutely beautiful. And the food was delicious oh, gosh. Yeah. and the people were friendly. It was, it was just really, really cool. But I agree, you know, the rice, the rice patties and, um, just uh, the terracing of everything. The the monkeys were great. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just yeah, they're so much fun. Yeah, it, it was just a lot of fun. So that's that's great. All right, well, Chris, it is your turn, my friend. Uh, so my favorite meal to cook. Well, I'm going to ask you different ones if that's okay. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. I feel like I want to gain. 
Yeah, that's right. Changing your game plan. Um, so I want to hear about your favorite food story. Huh. My favorite food story. So one of my other jobs is I'm, I'm a contract instructor for the Department of State. So that puts me overseas a lot. Um, 2019, I think I was gone six months out of the year in like two or three week increments. So when I'm doing that, I love to play Anthony Bourdain and just find the most traditional, the most hardcore dishes that I can find it wherever I go. So um, I got to say I have two. The first one happened uh, last, uh, just before COVID. So late 2019, I was in Tanzania and we were uh, chatting uh, with some locals at a beach bar. And these guys challenged us saying that Americans don't really know food, that all we do is go to restaurants and our food is given to us. So we go to the grocery store and it's already chopped up and we don't have an understanding of where our food comes from. So uh, the guy that was with me rolls his eyes because, you know, they they had just said that to someone that was going to accept the challenge. So the deal was that if these guys bought, uh, bought me a goat and I would meet them the next day on my day off and that we together would process and cook the goat. So sure enough, later in the day, I get a text message of a goat on the Tanzanian beach tied to a stake and said, we're waiting for you. So the next day we went down there and me and these local guys, we butchered down this goat and uh, we used every single piece of it. And we um, ate it for about four days straight, everything from soup to barbecue to uh, traditional, you know, traditional foods um, that they made from the offal and everything. And, uh, we redeemed the uh, American reputation that we don't know how to process and then cook our own food. Cool. Was it good? Yeah. It was delicious. It was really good. Yeah. Really? Very, very good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The other one was the time that I got to pick out a live Cobra in Jakarta and uh, they milked it and gutted it and gave me uh, the beating heart and the spleen and uh, some other parts of it in a shot with Cobra blood and whiskey. That was fun. And you did it. I absolutely did it. And then they took the meat and made me a soup and some stir-fried cobra, and it was absolutely delicious. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm cringing right now. (laughs) You have got to be the most adventurous eater I've ever, ever talked to, Chris. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) My mother tells me I'm going to end up on that show Monsters Inside because I'm going to get some kind of bacteria in my brain or something yeah some sort of parasite let's hope not let's hope that does not happen oh my gosh (laughs) i was almost paid zero for covid because we were going to go bat hunting in the philippines in february but the trip got canceled so Uh oh my gosh Mm -mm -mm. all right (laughs) well what is your favorite way to um pass the time or relax chris but uh, cooking or fishing. I spend a lot of time on the water here in uh, Florida. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, during the summer, sometimes I'm fishing three days a week. Uh, last summer during COVID when I wasn't working, I made a hobby of taking vets and first responders out uh, fishing and, and um, offshore. I spend a lot of time on the water, mm-hmm. both kayak fishing and, and fishing off a boat. Um, but other than that, day to day, I love to cook. I was an art major in college. And when I dropped out of college, and went into law enforcement um, I, I, I redirected that creativity to, um, efforts in the kitchen. So, I mean, I'd love to be in the kitchen. I'd love to cook. I find it super relaxing. So yeah, either fishing or cooking, I'd say. Okay. Awesome. And if you were to prepare your favorite meal, 
um, which I would need to know what that is. But then would you pair it with a certain beverage also, say, you know, fish with white wine, steak with red? You know, do you have a, a favorite meal combination? So I'm a firm believer in you, you drink what you like. So um, my what is my favorite meal? I would just say like a classic steak potatoes. I do like a classic steak and potatoes with a good Barolo. Okay, gotcha. Otherwise, every Christmas Eve, we do a traditional Sicilian Christmas Eve feast of the seven fishes, and we cook Mm -hmm. fish seven different ways. And um, even though it's a fish meal, it's very hearty with a lot of tomato sauces and strong, um, you know, savory Foods, so I do. I'll do a like a Southern Italian red wine, like a Nero d'Avola or an Etna Rosso with the um, with the Feast of the Seven Fishes on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Those are all the questions I have for you guys. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you both of you. And again, thank you for your time and being on Behind the Warrior Podcast. Great, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for having us, Sherry. You're yeah, welcome. appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, you guys have a great weekend. Yeah, we can't stress enough how much the page really is a community and a collaborative effort and just how much appreciation we have for everybody that jumped in and and it's just making it happen and making it great for everybody. So that's just, it's just been a great experience. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your passion with everybody, uh, Chris, and and starting, um, you know, such a positive page and to all the other folks that have joined in. And also have mm-hmm. been the creators in the background and uh, collaborators. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks. You have a great Easter weekend, Sherry. You too. You guys too. Take care. Get in on that video contest. I want to see that banana bread done in less than 10 minutes. Okay. I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> All <Bye-bye>. right. <laughs> you guys take care. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.